Lots of righteousness tends to belong So keep your love on, on Welcome to the Get Your Love On podcast. This show is dedicated to the family of faith around the globe. In each episode, we learn how to simply walk with God in all His awesome love, incredible power, and authority. It's straightforward, and it's straight from the Word. We have free resources for you at getyourloveon.org. That includes free Bible studies and an amazing free video series, all there to answer your questions, build your faith, and of course, we'd love to hear from you. You can always reach out to us by going to getyourloveon.org. We have an amazing episode here, so let's go. Let it shine bright, 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 keep your love. So you're going to hear from two very incredible ministers today with instruction from the Lord on how to get that very personal relationship with God, how to take that awesome authority that God has for us, and then, of course, how to also get our rest, because let's not get weary in well-doing. There's... There's a big battle that is being waged right now, and so uh, we need to ensure that we take our rest, too, when the Lord gives that to us. So, packed show, a lot to get to, but anyway, the Lord does talk to his people in very personal ways, and that's how this show mainly operates, is the Lord just speaks to us through the Holy Spirit, and then boom, we, we speak it out, what he gives us. So, the Lord gave me this scripture uh, the other night, a couple nights ago. It's 1 Peter 5, 7, and he he spoke it in my ear, and it's casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. And he said, if only my people would do this, casting all our care upon him. Well, the Greek meaning of care, that word care, it is so interesting. You know, you think... You think you might know what the word is saying, and then you dig a little deeper and you get some of these Greek and Hebrew meanings out of the word and boom, it just really expands. So that's what we do here on this show is we do, we have a Strong's Exhaustive Concordance. You may not be familiar with that term, but basically what it is, is it takes the English word and helps us understand what the Greek word was and or that's for the New Testament, the Old Testament, it was written in Hebrew. So we can look up the what the original language had to say, and then be able to pull these extra meanings out. So so we did that. The Greek meaning of the word care is to be drawn in a different direction. The root word of the word care is actually to disunite, to differ, to part from the idea of a distraction. So when we have our focus on any given task, a care would would be that disunity, that disunity from that focus. A care would cause us to put our focus in a different direction. That's what that word care means. Well, God wants us to seek him, and those that seek him early shall find him. So he wants us to have that focus on him, knowing that he's in complete control and his ways are perfect. So it's a really good thing to keep our focus on him. And so as we understand that when we cast all those distractions on God and just keep our focus on God, wow, he cares for us. So we get to cast any thought or event that would disunite us from God. 
we get to toss it away. Anxiety, worry, sadness, cast it away and just say, Lord, you handle it. Now, the reference to 1 Peter 5, 7 is Psalms 37, 5. And that says, commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. So cool. And that word commit means, and our friend um, Corey did a message on Psalm 37 and had a wonderful analogy that the Lord showed him about how when we commit our ways, that means just rolling into the way of the Lord. Well, just like a boulder is going to roll downhill and just sort of enjoy that ride, we get to do the same thing. We just get to roll our way into the Lord. Trust him. He's going to handle all of that. And we just simply get to allow that in our life and then trust in the Lord. He'll bring it to pass. There's there's many that have uh, distractions, um, cares. What I might recommend is to write down those cares on a piece of paper. Write them down, the distractions in this life, whether it's bills, whether it's the, that pain, whether it's that heartache, just write it down on a piece of paper. Crumple it up and just toss it right. Write it the Lord, just toss it in the air, toss it wherever you need to toss it, but cast it, cast it away from you and say, Lord, you get to handle this. And then allow your focus to be on God Almighty and then spend some time in the word. Allow him to heal your heart. Allow him to show you that he is in control and that he does care for you. That word, that Greek meaning of the word careth, and again, it's casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. That Greek meaning of the word careth is to be of interest to, to concern, care for. The Lord takes care of our needs. He's very interested in us prospering physically, spiritually, and financially in his ways. Just like Psalm 37, 5 says, trust in him also, and he will bring it to pass. Commit thy way unto the Lord, and he'll handle it. And it's really that simple. It really is. We get to believe God for this. Now, it's really interesting that I hear I hear from different souls that listen to the show, and some of them say, it's hard for me to let go of the past. It's hard for me to let go. Da, 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 da. And you just heard in verse 7 how the Lord instructs us very clearly, cast all your cares upon him. All of them. Not some, not partial, but all of them. That's our right. That's our privilege. But in order to get to verse 7 with that beautiful instruction, Peter first wrote verses 1 through 6. So let's get some context as to how we can cast all our cares upon the Lord and truly trust in him and truly know that he does care for us and he will handle any and all situations. And I want to say that too, that God is handling any and all situations for us as individuals for our families, for our communities, for this great nation, certainly. We get to cast all cares upon him and know that he does care for each one of us and he does care for the righteousness of the United States of America. So I want to encourage us all to keep our prayers hot, to keep reminding the Lord of his promises and keep watching how he will usher in that beautiful orchestration of, yes, righteousness in this land. All right, let's go to now verse 1. This is 1 Peter chapter 5. It says in verse 1, The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder 
and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Isn't that wonderful? Not only do we recognize the incredible gift and and what Christ endured for us to have the Holy Spirit today, but we also have the big picture of the glory that shall be revealed by walking in the Holy Spirit. So let's make sure we always keep that big picture. Never just focus on the sufferings, but always ensure that we're saying, yeah, we're also partakers of this glory. Verse 2, and and this is Peter speaking very specifically to the leaders, Holy Ghost-filled Christian leaders. Um, this is what he has for us. This is incredible instruction for anyone that's in charge of uh, anyone who's a leader, whether that's in your own home as a, a parent, whether that's in your own home as a, as the only person that has the Holy Spirit or the only po- person that's walking with the Lord, we still get to be leaders and demonstrate God in our lives. So this is this is beautiful what's about to be written right here. It says, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. See, Peter is imploring those who are elders, who know God, to feed the sheep because God wants his people knowledgeable in the word. And that's the reason this radio show exists, is because we're here to feed God's people the truth of his word. And we lean on the entire fivefold ministry, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, to ensure that what goes out across these airs does that very thing, feeds our soul, gives us the knowledge to be overcomers and victorious in this life. And again, always understand that there is that glory to be revealed as well, eternal life. So awesome stuff here. And and yes, never for filthy lucre, always very willingly, we will continue to do that. He also exhorts these leaders to be of a ready mind, and that is to have the mind of Christ. So this means that they must be filled with the Holy Spirit. So we all can understand that God has that for each of us to be led by Holy Ghost-filled spiritual leaders. This is really important. There's a lot of uh, so-called Christians that are definitely um, speaking out of their own mind and allowing allowing that. And we can't allow that not to be true leaders of God. Mm-mm. It says in verse three, neither is being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. Each leader gets to be an example to all Christians. And it's easy. Just line up with the word. Let your yeas be yea and your nays be nay. In verse 4, it says, And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. So it sounds like Peter has offered here an exchange. And a beautiful, well-balanced exchange. Leaders, be good leaders and and lead with integrity and be led of the Holy Spirit. And then younger, submit yourselves to that Holy Ghost-filled leadership. Yes, and be clothed in humility. And then a beautiful exchange occurs 
the younger gets to learn from the older. The older get to take those younger ones under their wings and instruct them and give them that beautiful knowledge of God. It's awesome. And that's how we receive that grace from God Almighty is to be humble and allow ourselves to submit to that righteous leadership. It says in verse 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Isn't that beautiful? So it's up to us to believe the word. It's up to us to understand that this is the way, the truth, and the life. Once we get that humility, once we're clothed in humility and led of the Holy Spirit, then verse 7 comes into play and we can cast all our cares upon the Lord because we trust him totally. In that humble state, we totally trust God Almighty. And we know and believe that he cares for us. And again, the Lord doesn't say cast some of your cares. He says cast all of your cares. Cast all those distractions out of the way. Why? Why do we need that all-out approach? Because verse 8, it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Isn't that interesting? So we need to cast all those distractions away from us, all those cares, just get them out of the way so that we can focus on God, focus on his solutions for us, focus on his ways in our life, focus on his word and his instruction and say, oh, cool, Lord, I get to line up with this. And then we get to have that same wisdom, not naivety, Mm-mm. No, we know exactly who Satan is. We know exactly where he's coming and going, and we get to overcome him. The references to this verse 8 is Job 1-7. It says, And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down it. Yeah, he's just looking. He's looking for trouble. And in Isaiah, it actually said that he weakens the nations. Well, a nation is both a physical country and an individual walking in Christ. Hmm. So Luke 21, 34 says, And take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and the cares of this life. And so that day come upon you unawares. So again, we get to be sober and vigilant. After we cast all those distractions away, we get to focus on the Lord and that sobriety and that vigilance becomes part of our heart and mind and and we're just so strong in the Lord. And here's verse 9. We're back in 1 Peter 5, verse 9. It says, this is speaking of Satan again, walking around seeking whom he may devour. It says, whom resist steadfast in the faith knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. That's right. We get to resist the devil and he flees from us. That's in James 4, 7. So in verse 10 now, back to 1 Peter 5, in verse 10, it says, But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? But the God of all grace, who has called us, that's you and me, unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. After that you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. Isn't that wonderful? Now let's look up what the word suffered means. 
It's a phrase, it, it's actually the entire phrase. The phrase, ye have suffered, means to experience a sensation or impression. And it's usually painful to feel passion to suffer. So after you've, you've endured that experience or sensation of fill in the blank, X, Y, and Z, after that, and you've overcome it and you've said, Lord, I'm seeking you, I'm moving on with you, I won't be dissuaded. I won't be distracted. I want you, God. After that, then God will make you perfect. It says that means to complete thoroughly, repair, adjust, restore, mend, perfectly joined together. We are perfect before God Almighty. We are repaired and restored sometimes adjusted. (laughs) Isn't that wonderful? I love this next word. God establishes us. Now, maybe you know the word establish, but the word establish is really interesting. It means to fast, to turn resolutely in a certain direction. So we get that certain direction, that focus, that eyes on the Lord, always keeping our eyes on the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? Establish also means to confirm in spiritual knowledge and power. Cool. Also, we get to be settled. Lay the foundation. That's what that word settled means. So yeah, that's what the Lord is looking to do. Get us all settled. And and the way we do that is by casting our cares upon the Lord. So I have a beautiful message here that will help us understand because the Lord cares for us so much and he gives us great instruction. And we have part two now of a message from last week uh, featuring our wonderful friend Trish. She started in part one. It's called Bind and Loose. And, and we're going to learn more about the keys to success through Jesus Christ, the keys through victory and using that authority that God has given us. All right, here's part two from Bind and Loose. This is our friend Trish. I'll give you one story. He was in sales. Now, if anyone knows my husband or knew him back then, the people that first hired him, because he, um, by faith, God told them to go from one place to another. He did what God told him to do. And he looked at me and he said, I, I'm going to hit the pavement. And the very first job that's offered to me, I'm going to take it. Because God told him to go from this place to that place. He knew he needed a job. He wasn't going to be burdened some to anybody. And he says, the first person that offers me a job, I'm going to take it. So he just hit the pavement. And sure enough, there was this sales job. Well, <laughs> if they did a profile on him, they say he absolutely did not have the makeup or the personality at all for sales. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. But he was filled with the Holy Ghost. So what did he do? He pressed into God and he prayed and he said, Lord, you make me a capable salesperson. You make me the best. By the time the Lord removed him from that position of sales, he was the best top producer. And he did not have the aptitude for it. He did not have the makeup for it. Not at all. He's a very meek man. But he was out one day, and this is when he was in his prime. He knew what he learned on that job. He learned how to have authority over devils. Because with sales and your commission sales, you do not eat if you do not get a sale. So what he learned to do is he learned how to take authority 
over a devil and rule and reign over them. And they loved them because he knew how to talk to them. He knew how to get the authority. And um, he was out with this man and woman. They were an elderly couple and she was just sweet, very sweet gal. And he was a son of Belial. He was nasty. He was snarly. And David was very kind. And the wife was just, oh, she was so embarrassed. She was mortified. Finally, David looked at him and he said, sir, who pissed in your cornflakes? <laughs> and he, he, he just went, whoa, what the heck? And it, it just woke him up. But when he said that, it shook that man free. He realized what he'd been doing. But he had to call him on it. He had to call him and let him know he was being a real jerk. He was being a real jerk and he needed to smarten up. Because David wasn't doing anything to deserve his behavior. And the guy all of a sudden had to face it and realize, oh, I am being a real jerk. And after that, they had no problem and he sold them a beautiful, you know, whatever they needed. You know, he made a beautiful sale. And the wife was so thrilled. <laughs> she was so relieved. Finally, somebody knew how to handle this thing. But yeah, he, he did bear it for a while, but it came to a point and the Lord showed him exactly what to say to him. It seemed like something odd, but he says, you say this to him with power and authority, because I know what kind of power was behind that. And he loosed that and that man just snapped too, just like that. So yeah, he can do the strangest things. The Lord will show you how to use that power and authority and enact it in your daily life and keep things where it needs to be. So we can execute vengeance upon the heathen. We can tell the Lord, Lord, he is, he is the one that has vengeance in his hand. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. So you can say, okay, Lord, you have your vengeance on that one and upon the heathen and punishments upon the people to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron. Now their king is whatever rules over that person, that unruly poor person. If Satan's ruling over them, you bind that spirit that is governing over them in chains and cast it away to execute upon them the judgment written. This honor have all his saints, praise ye the Lord. Do you know you have that honor to exercise that authority over Satan, over all devils? I don't care who they're in, where they are. You have that authority. All right, Hebrews 4.12, it says, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. All you have to do is get in your word. You pray, you talk to God, you say, Lord God, you show me in your word what this is and what you think. And when you find it, you read it out loud and declare it over whatever situation there is. Make that declaration. Use the power and authority that is in this word. I used to do that as a new soul. I mean, I was buffeted, beaded around and taken advantage of so much because it took me a while to get strong. It takes a while. 
it took David a while to learn how to be a good salesman. You know, he was going home hungry many times. And boy, he got real serious real fast. You do. So it's the same in the spirit. Ask the Lord to show you. So I would go home and then the Lord would say, you know, as a new, I would see something playing out and I'm going, wow, that didn't seem like God. And it felt real creepy and left me feeling just drained. I feel like everything's been all the strength sucked out of me. What was that? And then the Lord would say one word. I'd hear one word pop into my head just as a thought, spider. So I'd go look up the word spider in the, in the Bible go to the concordance and look up the word spider. Next thing you know, I'd be reading a scripture that would be describing what I just saw. And then I would read about the repercussions of that. And I'd say, well, Lord, you get rid of, you know, and I'd get the judgment of God against that spirit and get power and authority over it. And just whatever scenario it is and what you want God to perform, you go into his word because that does not fail. Use his word. Mm -hmm. In Revelations 1 16, and he had in his right hand seven stars and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, the word of God. And his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. Didn't her countenance change? It glowed. It glowed. The more and more and more of God you get in you, your countenance is going to glow. It will glow. It will take on a lifted appearance. It'll start to look different. It'll lift. Okay, and his count shineth in his strength. He had seven stars. Okay, over in Revelations 1.20, the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. That's their voice, their angel. The angel is in the voice. Those angels that came into this room, they're waiting to hear what we're telling them to do. So as I'm reading these scriptures out, they're going and they're doing what we're asking them to do. They're taking it up. So if you need help, you just say, Lord God, by the power that you've given me in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I'm commanding peace in my house. Lord God, by the power that you've given me through the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I'm commanding da, 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 whatever it is. I'm commanding that one to be cleared out of, my, out of the job site. I'm commanding this one to be delivered of that particular nature, that spirit. Satan, you're bound. I'm binding that spirit. You're bound by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth in chains and cast down into the pit, never to be re return again. You, you stay there until the day of judgment. Make sure you bind them, you cast them down so that they don't return. And I'll tell you why in a bit. And the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Now, Matthew 16, verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Who do, who do men say that I am? And they said, some say that thou art John the Baptist, some say Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's what Simon Peter said. This is what Jesus said back. 
And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. See, it takes the Holy Ghost, it takes God to reveal to somebody who Jesus is. That's why you pray, you wait on him, and you ask God to reveal to you what his word is saying, what he's saying, who he is, what spirit is that, what nature is that. Ask the Lord and speak to him and pray and intercede in your tongues and get along with him and get in your word and utilize it and he will reveal it. It's revealed by the spirit. It's a supernatural thing. Jesus knew. See, the men out there didn't know who Jesus was. They thought he was somebody, you know, from that had been written about or whatever, but they, did, they didn't know who it was. But Simon Peter did. And he said, God revealed that to you. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter. See before here, he was Simon Barjona. Here's where he's renamed. Look at what God says. I say also unto thee that thou art Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. All power and authority over all of it. The gates of hell shall not. It doesn't say might or maybe. It says absolutely shall not prevail against it. The name Peter means stone. See how, how Jesus renamed him right there and he became Peter, and I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. It's eternal. It's permanent. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ because it was almost his hour and he need, needed to stay hidden. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. That was a shocker. Could you imagine? He had to tell them, okay, now I'm going to be going into Jerusalem and they're going to kill me. And then I will rise again on the third day. That's why he told them, don't tell anybody where I am. He knew his hour was upon him. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. Now see, Peter had just been given this great rename and all this power and authority, but he wasn't yet converted. He didn't know that God knew what he was doing, that he was talking to the whole, the Son of God and the purpose of God was going to be wrought in this. He got his own mind in there. So how did Jesus talk to him? Now see, this is how you can answer a wrong spirit. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. He rebuked him right then and there. He knew it wasn't Jesus talking. If you've got a devil coming into your face and it's not Jesus talking, you can counter that devil. Have I ever done that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I don't have to get into a fist fight to do it, do I? I can just very plainly tell them, nope, yeah. However I need to address it. Who pissed in your cereal? However you need to address it. I hope you don't mind I use that. My husband is a farmer. He tells it like it is. Paul did too. Use very rude and crude speech at times. So answer according to the need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. No more me. No more I, I, I. You deny yourself what you want, what you want to do, how you want it to be. You put that away. You deny yourself. Take up his cross and follow me. Just do what the Lord tells you to do. Follow his example. Line up with his structure that he has in front of you. For whosoever shall save his life shall lose it. If you're going to continue to fight to do it your way, I want it my way. I want it like this. I don't feel like doing that. You're going to lose your life eternally. You're going to lose it. And you're going to lose your life here too because you're going to be ruled and run by Satan. He's going to be over your head buffeting you around. And trust me, he's not nice. He doesn't play nice. He does not play nice. Mm -hmm. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Not only are you going to get blessing right here, you're going to have the ability to call joy into your life and peace into your life and, and all the rest of it, all the good things of God. You're going to be able to have a fulfilled life here and you will have an eternal life an eternal life. Just follow with God's plan. Follow with his course. Do it his way. Learn very early on. I would always look at the list of things to do, and I would pick the thing I most wanted not to do, and I'd do that. And the reason I would do that was to put my flesh under. I would make it do what it didn't want to do, so I would do it. Well, I'm going to go do that. <laughs> and my flesh just went under and under until it was okay, okay, Come and do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I learned to do that. I had to train my flesh to die out. I, I, and I would interact with God to do it. Pray in tongues, get in your word, read your scripture, read it out loud, exercise that power and authority over those spirits, over the devil, command him to leave and he shall flee, rebuke him, reject him, and he'll leave. Yeah, whosoever shall lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? You're not going to take the world with you. Or what should a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. So whatever you do here will determine what you're going to receive when you leave this life. So that's why I say you're building a reward in the hereafter every time you take up the care of another or whatever it is that God gives you to do. Yeah, it's true. That's why you get your children to learn to take care of one another and do things for someone else and be selfless. And train them in that way. Verily I say unto you, there shall be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now Jesus knew that he was going to be crucified. He knew he was going to go down into the nether parts for those three days. 
and three nights and he knew he was going to rise again and he knew he was going to meet them and he knew they were going to see him ascend up into the clouds and go above all the heavens. He ascended above all the heavens and he stood on the right, he sat on the right hand of the Father. He went to where God is mm -hmm. in God's glorious kingdom. Now, he gave Peter that power to bind and loose. Now, I had an apostle tell me, you should look up the meaning of bind and loose and dig in. Now, by digging in, it means just go a little deeper. So what I did is I went into the Strong's and I'm going to try and go through this as quickly as I can because it's awesome. <laughs> okay. Strong's definition of bind is a primary verb to bind, literally or figuratively, be bound in bonds, knit, tie, wind. You notice how I said you just bind them in chains. So we have that power to bind them in chains. And in the spirit, that is what's happening. That spirit was bound in chains when you do that. It means to bind, tie, and fasten, to bind, fasten with chains, to throw into chains. So you have that authority. So you know, if you're going to cast a spirit out, bind it in chains. Satan is said to bind a woman bent over by means of a demon as a messenger taking possession of the woman and preventing her from standing upright. Yeah, Satan can do that. And that's why Brother Bob was able to take people and with withered arms or whatever and say, Satan, you're a liar. And their arm would just come right out straight. And, and in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, this time next week, I'm going to have fingers grown back on the end of my stubs. And the next week when he saw his brother, his brother says, oh, yeah, well, let me see those fingers. And he held his hand up and they had not only fingers on there, but fingernails when they were gone because they'd been eaten off in cancer, from cancer, with cancer. Yes, we have that ability to remove these things out of people's lives, to bind, put under obligation of the law or duty. To See, Satan wants to put you under obligation to him, make you think that he's in control and he wants to manipulate you. Uh-uh, know your word. You are not obligated to anything, only God. You listen to what Jesus tells you to do. You listen to what God the Father tells you to do and that is it. Nothing else. Okay, to be bound to one, like a wife or a husband, they're bound by that what God puts together, let no man put asunder. Now, God does have provision. If there's an, if the unbelieving depart, let them depart. The Lord is, they're not guilty in such cases, but God has called them to peace. And there are some cases like that because you can't dwell with a devil. Jesus doesn't dwell with a devil. But that's, that's God's call and God will do, you know, he does make provision for that. But you don't go out of your way to try and be loosed when it's not God. When God, when you're uh, instrumental in peradventure saving that spouse with your godly behavior, with your demonstration of that complete conversion that you're going through and this new behavior that you're showing. And they're going, what is this? I like it. And give them the word, have that seasoned word and, and let them know how awesome God is. Sing his praises and ask God to show you how to do it with wisdom. He'll give you that wisdom. To forbid, prohibit, declare to be illicit. See, to bind is to forbid. See, the devil right now is trying to forbid people from gathering together. They're trying to, for one, one governor I 
I heard about was trying to forbid people from singing in church or um, speaking in tongues in a congregation. They tried to forbid them. Now, is that God? No. Are you bound to that? No. No. Yeah, but Satan will try and forbid you from serving God. He'll try and prohibit you from feeling good and having joy. He'll try and declare it to be illicit, but it's not. It's not. Don't fall. Don't let anything bind you. Be bound to God and his law. Bind that in your heart. Bind that in your member and hold fast to that. Going in deeper, a cross-reference to bind. It is or was necessary when it's necessary. It is necessary. There is need of it. It behooves is right and proper. When it's right and proper, you bind something and remove it. When it's necessity lying in the nature of the case, when there needs to be a removing, a binding and removing, necessity brought on by circumstances or by the conduct of others towards us. There were times when there was necessity to pray certain things out, to bind them in chains and cast them down and remove them out of your life. If there are things that are operating in your life that are damaging to you, then you use the power and authority that God has given you through the Holy Ghost and through his word and through his glorious name. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I bind this affliction in chains and I cast it far from me and I, I bind it down to the pit of hell to be reserved there and never to return. Never, don't, don't just cast it out. You gotta bind it up and cast it off and down to the pit. Mm -hmm. Necessity in reference to what is required to attain some end. I've got to end this torment. Then use that authority and bind it. A necessity of law and command, of duty, of equity. You have a duty before God to stand bound by his commandments, to love one another, to love him above all else, and to love one another. Mm -hmm. Necessity established by the counsels and decree of God, especially by that purpose of his, which relates to the salvation of men by the intervention of Christ and which is disclosed in the Old Testament prophecies. Bind those things, utilize those things, enact those things. As a Christian, you have that authority. God gave it to you. Jesus gave it to you. And he gave everything for you to have that ability. We're going to go down a little further to another cross-reference, going deeper into the definition of bind. It means to beg as binding oneself. That is petition. You get in there. Remember that fervent prayer, that fervent, passionate prayer that doesn't take no for an answer, that fervent prayer of a righteous man. You've got to be righteous to get those prayers moving. You stand on that righteousness of God. You line up with his word. You do it his way. You get rid of the self-will and you stand before him. He has to honor his word. Stand on his word. 
That centurion knew that Jesus had power and authority. Know that you have that power and authority through the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth when you are righteous and you're standing holy before him. Mm -hmm. So beseech, pray to make requests. So there's an active entreaty on your part. To want, you have to want it. You have to want it. Lack. To desire or long for, to ask, to beg, the thing asked for, pray, make supplications. So it is good to go a little bit deeper. Get in and know what binding really entails and, and what you're, uh, how to obtain it. Be serious. Be sober. Be vigilant. Be immovable. It's not maybe might. It's he will. He will do it. The Strong's definition of loose, a primary verb to loosen, to break up, destroy, dissolve. I literally, you notice how I just pound and pound and pound and pound and then I get my spiky boots on and I stomp and stomp and stomp in the spirit. Destroy and dissolve it. In the spirit, I do, I have that warfare in the spirit. In my mind, I go after them and I use the word of God. I vocalize it. You leave. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, you leave and don't you ever come back. You go straight to the pit and then you can start binding them and getting them down there. Destroy and dissolve. Some of them I take a flamethrower to if they're particularly nasty. Sometimes you just have to fast and pray to get your flesh out of the way and get that power of God just loosed. You do whatever it takes to get it. To loose, melt, put off. Hey, that fire that Holy Ghost fire, melt it right down. Like I say, I take a flamethrower to it. There's no better flamethrower than God. Get in and pray in those tongues, call down fire and loose it. Mm -hmm. Loose any person or thing tied or fastened. If they're bound by a spirit that continually troubles them, loose them with the power and authority of God. They have to want it. They have to want it and they have to do their part. But you get your voice and you activate it and you get them when they're loosed and free, you get them praising God and claiming that and resisting that and doing the same thing. That's why I say you take that authority over it. Do not allow it back in. All right. Mm -hmm. To loose one bound, unbind, release from the bond, set free. One bound up, bound with chains as a prisoner, discharge, discharge from prison, let go. To loosen, dissolve anything bound or compacted together. You know, if that thing wants to attach itself to a soul, you get rid of it. Do it with your power and authority. An assembly to dismiss or break up. Laws is having binding force to annul and subvert, to do away with, to deprive of authority. You do not allow a devil to have authority over you. They don't have the right. Don't give them the authority to rule over you. Get to know what the devils are like. Get to know what they sound like, what they talk like, and you do not allow them authority over you. Mm-hmm. Do declare, declare it unlawful. It is not lawful for you to trouble the house of God. It is not lawful to you to enter into the temple of God. It's not lawful. 
Mm -mm. Mm -hmm. To loose what is compacted or built together, break up, demolish, destroy. Dissolve something coherent into parts to destroy it, to overthrow, to do away with. Do away with those old natures and those old behaviors. Do away with those old patterns. Do away with them. Break it up and get rid of it and line up with God. Mm -hmm. Yep. A shattering to minute fragments. Yeah. When God falls on something, it's ground to powder. Sometimes I'll do that in the spirit. I'll just envision it. Just ground to powder. I saw one, I saw one serpent coming in the spirit and I just pounded that head and I stomped it all over and then it was a bunch of little things. And so I just went and ground that thing into powder. Just stay at it and stay at it and stay at it until they're gone. Do it with your prayers. Do it with your word. Do it with your steadfast, rejecting it, refusing it, binding it, removing it. And then replace it with something better. Joy, love, peace. All I mean, just go on and on praising God. Start praising God. Those things can't stand it. They cannot stand it. I can hear them squealing and running. Oh, they are pitiful. You have all power and authority to break, wreck, or crack, shattering into minute fragments. All right. Also, when you've been loosed, now when you've been loosed, when a soul's been loosed, they will give vent to joyful emotions. They're going to be joyful. That's why just start praising God. Start praising, praising God. Yep. To break forth into joy. Ever heard an infant just peals of laughter? Or what about a dumb or a mute person? Dumb here meaning mute person beginning to speak. If they've never been able to speak and all of a sudden they can speak and they can speak clearly. Brother Bob, his voice, his voice box, you've heard him. His voice box was eaten out with cancer and he had to speak with a megaphone, an electronic device that he would hold up to his voice box so it could be heard. It was so damaged. And people would say, well, you know, and he'd say, well, my voice is healed. Well, no, it's not. Yes, it is. My voice is healed. And he would say that over and over and over. And this went on for a long, long time. And anytime anybody would ask him about his voice, he said, my voice is healed. And then one day, because God, God was exercising his faith that it wasn't, wouldn't be shaken or moved. So he would just proclaim it healed. Then one day, God restored his voice and he could shout from the rooftops. But see, up until that time, my voice is healed. He proclaimed it. He stood on it. He wouldn't be moved. So, but God did that to make those muscles strong. Make those muscles strong. And, and then he could shout. There was nothing wrong with his voice. Not at all. Mm -mm. Okay. All right. So you've got the idea. You can be loose, loose a soul and you loose them from those bondages. You, you break them down. Now here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing. This is why you need to go to your mountain. You need to pray in tongues and you need to get to know the word of God. Over in Mark 3, 27, 
No man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he will first bind the strong man. That binding. And he will spoil his house. If you don't recognize the spirit and it comes in and it gets a hold of you, it'll bind you and you're going to be limited. You're, you're not going to uh, have the ability that you have in your house will be destroyed. He'll take you down. That's all devils. That's all he wants to do. He walks to and fro upon the face of this earth to seek who he can devour and destroy and take out of the kingdom of God. So you have to know him. You have to know his tactics and you have to be like Jesus there when it, Satan spoke through Peter. Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me. When they try and present themselves to me, mm -mm, I will not receive it. So how, how did I learn that? Through experience. Getting in, knowing my word and praying. All right, over in Luke eleven twenty one, when a strong man armed, and that means fully armed with the word of God, keepeth or guards his palace, his goods are in peace. When you're prayed up and you're strong and you maintain it and you don't receive anything that's not of God, your goods are going to be in peace. That's when your household's going to be at peace. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he taketh from him all his armor wherein he trusted and, and divideth his spoils. He will destroy your house. If you allow a, a devil to rule and take authority, you cannot allow a devil to take authority in your life, in your mind, none of it, in your home. You have to keep your home and the authority of God. Number one, keep your house clean. This is why God in his great mercy and ultimate wisdom has given the fivefold ministry. And this is that we may help those that are snared. Now, the one thing I wanted to add in here before I, I finish out with this, there's a reason why you bind a spirit. Like a spirit can be cast out of you. There's two things you need to do. You need to stay full of the Holy Ghost so that it's overflowing. You need to go to the mount. You need to be in your word, reading your word. You need to be praying in tongues and getting the infilling of the Holy Ghost and having it pouring out so nothing can enter into you. Because remember, these things dwell in people. Over in Luke 11, verse 24, it says, when the unclean spirit is gone out of a man. Now, when you get delivered and that unclean spirit leaves, not when you go down in water baptism, all those spirits have left you. When you've gone down under holy hands in the fullness of Christ for the remission of sins, everything of your past is gone. It's washed away and you come up brand new and you're clean. None of those things are in you. So the unclean spirit's gone out of a man. He walketh around, walketh through dry places, seeking rest. So those spirits are out there now. They used to be in you. They're not in you now. So they're going to be walking around looking for a dry place. And they're going to seek rest. And finding none, if they can't find a place to enter, he saith, I will return unto my house whence I came out. They're going to come back. And when he cometh, he findeth swept and garnished. Oh, okay. If it's swept and garnished, okay, it's nice and clean. Well, good. I'm, I'm, then what does he do? Then he goeth and taketh to him seven other spirits more wicked than themselves, himself. And they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. That is why you get filled with the Holy Ghost 
you continue to keep yourself full and you do not allow anything in. Remember that glass of water and keep pouring? Those things try and enter back, they're not going to be able to. If you are full of the Holy Ghost, if you just go down in the water, you come up, you get the Holy Ghost, and then you just go off and live life like you did before and not keep yourself full, those things are going to come back. Brother Bob actually saw that when he would travel the circuit. He would travel and um, go to the tent revivals and he would be casting demons out of people. And he said every time he would do the circuit and he'd come back, he'd see the same people there with the same spirits and he'd have to cast them out again. Go, what's going on here? That's when he realized he needed to establish churches. He had to establish the fivefold ministry and teach people how to get full and how to fill their vessels up and how to resist those things and take authority over it so that they will maintain that clean house and nothing else can enter in. So you have to do your part and you, and you need to be taught. And that is what I'm doing today. I'm taking you from that whole new creature that's come up and I'm giving you the equipment that you need to have to maintain that clean, clear, full house of God down inside your earthen vessel. And then those things cannot come in. You know, that's why we bind them. That's why we put them in chains. Brother Bob learned that in another tent revival where he cast a spirit out of a woman. It jumped out of her, went down a few rows, jumped into someone else because he didn't bind it and cast it to the pit. He just cast it out. So it just jumped over to someone else. And then it spoke to that woman or that person. And they said, well, we, they like it here, like us. We're going to stay here. And they didn't want, that person didn't want to leave. Let it go. You can't deliver it out of somebody that doesn't want to let it go because they'll just invite it back in. So there's a responsibility of every soul to, and after that, he always bound a spirit when he cast it out and put it down in the pit so that it couldn't go jump into someone else. Do you get it? That's what you do. You take those things and you loose the person and you bind that spirit and cast it down into the pit. So it can't go trouble anybody else. Have mercy. Have mercy on the souls out there. Mm -hmm. So here we are. So there are ones, there's going to be different, you know, when um, people first start their walk, they're going to have overcomings and things that they're going to face. And here's why. Like I was just giving an example why there had to be a structure built so people can be taught, they could be made strong, they could be helped during this process of rooting and grounding and becoming established. You don't just baptize them and then shove them out there and say, you're good to go. You've got to get them equipped. And over in 2 Timothy 2 verse 24, and the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men apt to teach patient. It does take patience. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledgement of the truth and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. 
Do you see why I gave you all the equipment you need today to recover yourself? You've had that great deliverance. You've had that wonderful baptism. If you haven't, seek the Lord. He'll show you how to obtain it. Reach out to him. He'll lead you. And when you get it, follow this outline from him, how to maintain what got that clean and garnished house, your body, the temple that now contains the Holy Ghost. Make sure you get that infilling. Keep that infilling going. Go to your mountain. Read your word. Exercise that authority over spirits. Learn about spirits so you can recognize them. They may have had you buffaloed. They may buffalo you at times, but get in the Lord. Say, Lord, this doesn't feel right. This doesn't look right. Get in his word. He'll reveal it to you. He's the discerner of all things, and he will show you how to cast it out. It's going from faith to faith to glory to glory, and you will grow, and you will prosper, and you will flourish. All the keys are there. Just follow them. I love you all. Lord bless you all with a great and mighty blessing of power and authority and victory in the Lord in your wonderful journey and labor for him. Bless God. And that was our dear friend Trish and her incredible instruction. That perfect instruction you just heard literally has delivered souls from years of oppression and torment. That right there, that authority that she just gave us, <laughs> I love it. Bless God. Thank you so much, Lord, for this, getting out there. I hope that blessed you. It did me. I, I feel uh, just, you know, 10 feet tall right now, knowing what God can do through each one of us for each one of us. And my friends, there's more. We now have a beautiful minister. His name's Dr. Jason, also raised up in a true fivefold ministry. And so you're going to hear that great depth of knowledge in the Word of God as well. He's a doctor by trade, so just like Luke in the Word, he's very thorough in this instruction that he has. So you just heard, we talked earlier in the show about casting all our cares upon the Lord. You just heard how God gives us that great authority and victory through him and the the precision and and the, the how to be an overcomer too. Stay full of the Holy Spirit and use the Word as as we've been instructed. Well, now we're going to hear about, okay, that's a mighty stance. There are these battles we need to wage, and there's also some rest to obtain in the Lord. So this is our message from Dr. Jason. It's about how to find our rest in the Lord. Well, greetings, everyone. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth, blessings unto you. I come to you today with a message that I titled, Rest in the Lord. The Lord has been uh, reminding me a lot lately about finding rest in Him, especially when I have time off from work. Being careful not to get overly tired, physically and spiritually, because really what it boils down to is we just aren't as effective for Him when that happens. And that's what our call on earth is, is to be effective for the Lord. So finding that rest. And I looked up some scriptures and examples in the Bible of the need for rest and the importance of it. What does it really mean to rest in the Lord? What does it mean to get rested? So I'm not talking necessarily about physical sleep. You can only sleep so much. Average, the average adult needs about seven to nine hours of sleep to function at our best. And that's important. It is important. 
to physically give that gift to yourself. We need it to restore. And I'm not talking about being asleep spiritually. We know what that means. Sleep in that sense is more slothful, lazy, spiritually asleep, sleepy, and most importantly, indifferent to one's salvation. And if you think of anything about being spiritually asleep, remember this word, mediocre. And that's not what we're looking for. We're not looking for the middle of the road and barely getting by. We're looking for everything we can get from the Lord. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 5, it reads, Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. We are not asleep. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober and be awake. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. So be awake, and we can find rest in the Lord and still be awake. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together, just like we're doing today. Edify one another, even as also ye do. It's very important to remember that worldly things won't rest the soul. They're temporary. You know, whether it be activities that you enjoy doing, a movie that you go watch or whatever, it's temporary. But resting in the Lord is daily and it's forever. So we can all practice that. We can do daily things that give us rest before the Lord. A dear sister in the Lord mentioned that to me earlier before this message is that the Lord's been showing that to her lately, is finding rest on a daily basis. One thing that I do just on a personal note at work is I take a walk about every day at lunch at work. And I work as a physician, so my mornings can be busy and hectic and oftentimes stressful you know, physically, spiritually, mentally challenging. And I know all of our jobs are that way in one form or the other. But I take a walk and it just gives me an opportunity, maybe 10 to 15 minutes, just to pray before the Lord, just to get some prayers out there, just to ask him to bless my day, bless my family, and just start thinking about the saints of God and just asking the Lord to continue to build me up in my life and, and have him show me the things that he needs to show me. And it makes a huge difference. And it's just a personal way that I spend that time resting in the Lord and abiding in Him. Even one scripture, even one scripture can make a huge difference. And, and getting those words of the Lord just written down into the tables of our heart and our mind. So I think sometimes it's easy to get a bit overwhelmed and say, you know, I need to read a whole chapter or the whole book of the Bible. You don't need to do that. You need to just center yourself on God and just one scripture at a time can make a huge difference. So those are ways that we can rest in the Lord and be rejuvenated. Wake up in the morning, find your scripture, and then go for it. But thinking about the way God has touched your life as an individual and remembering it, and then you can even find scriptures and examples in the Bible to back that up, will continue to build that rest in your soul. So in the concordance, when I looked up rest, resting the Lord, it talks about recovering our strength, rest oneself, refresh. And also, if you get one thing out of this message today, I'd like you to remember the word abide. 
Because resting in God is abiding in Him. It's being settled with the Lord. In Hebrews 4, Hebrews 4 verse 1, it says, Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left of us entering into His rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. So we don't want to miss out. We want to take everything that the Lord has for us. We don't want to miss that opportunity to enter into the Lord's rest. Rest here means reposing down or settling, abode. So kind of like to live there, you know, not just visit. In relation to some people think of their walk with the Lord as temporary or intermittent. Go to Christmas service, go to Easter service, the rest of the year, whatever. But we're abiding in the Lord and He's abiding in us. And that's where our rest is. So we rest in the grace and peace of Jesus Christ. Verse 2, Hebrews 4. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Now this is talking and referring to the Israelites in the wilderness that did not believe. Verse 3. For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, as God did rest the seventh day from all his works. So even God rested. Even God rested on the seventh day of creation. In Exodus 20, verse 11, it says, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. So there's a reference there to the Sabbath, and we'll touch on that later, because that oftentimes comes up in the, in the topic of resting and what that means. Now back to Hebrews 4, verse 5. It said, And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest. So seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. That's talking again about the Israelites in, in the wilderness. Again, he limiteth a certain day, saying in David, Today, after so long a time, as it is said, Today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Now look at that. They're referring there to a certain place and a certain day. For if, And in verse 8, it says, For if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God, which is who? Jesus Christ. We are not limited to a certain day to gain God's rest or a certain place. We're not limited by that. We have the privilege and the advantage of having Jesus inside of us, and he is our rest. So accepting him into our heart and following him each and every day and building ourselves up that, that way that's how we get the rest of the Lord. Believing on Jesus and following Him is the way and the final answer. I'm going to make one more reference here. Let's go to Psalm 95, verse 7. It reads, For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Today, if you will hear His voice, harden not your heart as in the provocation. The provocation, again, is the the provoking of God that was done by unbelief by the Israelites in their wilderness. That's the reference there. And as in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my work. 
This is God speaking. And in verse 10, it reads, 40 years long was I grieved with this generation and said, it is a people that do err in their heart and they have not known my ways. The Lord not happy here. Unto whom I swear in my wrath that they should not enter into my rest. That is not the position that we are in. That is the position that they were in because of unbelief and because of provoking God. So have a good heart. Be of good cheer. There is rest and reward and hope for the people of God through Jesus, through belief, through obedience, and through trust in Him. So it's a great day because we're not in that situation. So if we go back to Hebrews 4, verse 10, For he that has entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works, as God did from his. So what does that mean? Resting in God is trusting him. It's ceasing or resting from your own works, from your own life, from your own way of doing things, from your own mind, the natural mind. There's a lot of freedom in that. There's a lot of peace in that. So putting your cares on the Lord, that's what you're doing. And that gives you rest. We all have many things that we may be facing, trials, etc. And we can put our cares, we can let go of it. That's the freedom that God gives us. That's what it means to be free in the Lord. Because we're not trying to figure it all out ourselves. So God, remember, he, He rested from His work of creation as an example to us. right? In Matthew 11, verse 30, it says, For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Those are Jesus' words. Kind of sums up my whole message. You know, it's just too short. You know, we'd be out of here in two minutes. (laughs) So back to Hebrews 4, verse 11. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Rest in the Lord by getting Christ in your heart. Rest in the Lord by getting Christ in your heart. That's the, that's the word of the day. Verse 12, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. How powerful is that? The word of God. And it's written down in us. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, But all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So there is rest and peace in being open and naked to God. What does that mean? Why would that be restful? Well, it's like a clearing, right? Like a cleansing. Everyone remembers when you're a kid, and I I definitely remember it, when you're a kid and you did something wrong, and you knew you did something wrong, And you're walking around and you've got that guilt. And it's just sort of this thing inside you that's kind of eating away and it just doesn't feel good and it kind of gnaws at you. It's sort of like a black cloud hanging over your head. We've all had that experience when we were kids. I mean, that's how you you grow up and you learn. But then remember that feeling when you would tell your mom and dad, whether it be your your natural mom and dad or or your spiritual mom and dad or the Lord, and you would get clear of it? There's just sort of this, you know, this weight lifted off and you just feel like you're kind of walking around on air and just this this feeling of purity and cleanliness. That's exactly what the Lord's talking about in here. He knows us. We are all made manifest 
in his sight. So that's repentance. When you have that pure repentance and you move on with the Lord, that's that nakedness and rest that can enter in because you're clear. So I would encourage each and every person, no matter what, no matter what your state is as a Christian, a new Christian, or someone just coming to the Lord, remember that. Remember that rest that you have in the Lord by clearing things with Him and letting Him come in and fill that. That's the key. So it's a beautiful and clean thing, repentance. And also in the scripture there in verse 12, it talks about the Word of God. You know, the Word of God divides. He divides. He, he, he came to bring a sword, right? He knows what we've overcome and what we still need to overcome. He knows that. And so when we place our rest in Him and our faith in Him, we just let Him do it. We just let Him do it. Verse 14, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. In other words, Jesus has experienced the things we've experienced. He's experienced pain and being dirty and being hungry and being thirsty and being tired. We're going to get into that a little bit later. But was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Jesus under, you know, had to undertake great temptation and overcome it. So Jesus had to endure this flesh also. He has great love and compassion for us because of that. Because he, know he knows what it's like to live and walk on the earth. In Isaiah 53.3, it says, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and equated with grief. You don't think that was hard? And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Back to Hebrews 4, verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What is grace? Grace is merciful kindness. Grace is merciful kindness. It's gratitude and it's divine influence upon the heart. That's what grace is. So I kind of want to move on now. We've talked about what it means to rest in the Lord and what, how it's defined as abiding in Him and some examples of that. I'd like to give you some examples too about how resting in the Lord prepares you to do God's work because that's what we're here to do and we need to be rested in order to do it. We can't be totally exhausted. So let's talk about Elijah. Let's talk about Jesus and His disciples. Remember that God can bless you. He can restore you and He can refresh you. That's what He's here to do. So just trust in Him. Elijah was ready and prepared to do the Lord's work. And that's even if it could have been kind of scary, which he had to really stand in the gap for the Lord and be bold. So if we go to 1 Kings chapter 16, I'm just going to read one scripture there, but I'll summarize some things. 1 Kings 16 verse 33. So this is just one verse about Ahab, but basically King Ahab was a king of Israel. And there were many of them that weren't, that weren't good and provoked God greatly. And Ahab basically began to worship Baal. So he began to worship an idol, okay? A false god. So in, in 16 of 1 Kings, verse 33, it says, And Ahab made a grove. And Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. That's not a good reputation before the Lord. He was the worst, okay? 
So you can imagine that he was, he was probably very stuck on himself. He probably thought he knew everything. He wasn't a very nice guy. He wasn't really willing to listen to anybody and he wanted to do it all his own way. And he definitely wasn't willing to listen to the Lord. So what would it have been like for Elijah to go up and say something to this guy? Probably not easy. He had to be very bold. So in 1 Kings 17, verse 1, it says, And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto him, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, So this is what the Lord said to Elijah. After he just told Ahab, it's not going to rain, there's not going to be any dew, it's going to be a complete drought which is probably going to have a major impact on your crops and your people. And the word of the Lord came unto him saying, so Elijah, get thee hence. So get out of here and turn thee eastward and hide thyself by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. And we've heard this story, but I think it's good to think about this in terms of rest and the importance of it. So Elijah had to escape and find rest, which God provided. Verse four, and it shall be, that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning, and bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. And, and it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because of what the Lord said, because there had been no rain in the land. Verse 8, And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. Now, note, Elijah was ready, and he was prepared to do the Lord's work after he rested. The Lord commanded him to go rest, and he did it. And then he had to get up and go do something else. Verse 10, so he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. Remember, the brook had dried up, so he was thirsty. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but an handful of meal in a barrel, and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks. Wow. That I might go in, dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. Hopeless. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and for thy son. Now, that took some serious boldness. Can you imagine saying that to somebody? No, I think you should go and make me a cake first and then make something for you and your son, even though you have no idea who I am. But remember, the Lord had prepared this widow woman for this scenario, and he had also prepared Elijah. Elijah had rested, and he had been, I'm sure, praying and before the Lord. So he had that power and authority that the Lord has. I mean, it's a miracle that she even did this, right? It's a miracle. So verse 14, it says, 
For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruse of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went, and did according to the saying of Elijah. And she, and he, and her house did eat many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. And it came to pass after these things, that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick. And his sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. Wow. So see how this is playing out here? We didn't know, and she didn't know, that her son was going to get sick. But she was obedient. She was obedient to God, and she did what his prophet said initially. So, uh-oh, he got sick, okay? And he couldn't breathe. I mean, he, he was dying. And she said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? Is that what's happening here? And he said unto her, Give me thy son. And he took him out of her bosom and carried him up into a loft where he abode and laid him upon his own bed. And he cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, Hast thou also brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourned by slaying her son? And he stretched himself upon the child three times. Now that was probably strange. You know, what was the woman thinking at that point? But she trusted the Lord and she trusted his unusual ways. Obviously. And so did Elijah. And cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come into him again. And guess what? What an amazing thing, because Elijah waited on the Lord. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child, and he brought him down out of the chamber into the house, and delivered him unto his mother. And Elijah said, See, thy son liveth. And the woman said unto Elijah, Now by this I know that thou art a man of God, and that the word of the Lord is in thy mouth, in thy mouth is truth. She believed it 100%. Because why? Because she saw the proof of it. Because why? Because Elijah waited on the Lord. He was obedient. So it's just a great testimony and a healing of the Lord that came from the obedience of Elijah and the widow woman. Elijah was ready to do God's work. Let's talk about Jesus. Jesus is our rest. I alluded to that earlier. Having him in our heart is our rest. We rest in him. He also gave a great example of how to get restored so he could do what he needed to do and how to keep himself surrounded by people that would restore him and build him up. He was really smart about that. He was really wise about that. In Matthew 10, starting in verse 1 there, Jesus basically sends out his 12 disciples out to minister in his name. They were and we are the laborers of Christ. So Matthew 10, 1, it says, And when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. That sounds like a lot. 
It sounds like a significant thing. Just knowing what they must have faced, you know, the ugliness of it. So if we skip down to verse 5, he, in, in the next couple of verses, he names the disciples. But if we skip down to verse 5, it says, and this is Jesus speaking, These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not. A warning there. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And that would be a tough assignment. And as ye go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick. Heal the sick. Go around laying your hands on the sick. Cleanse the lepers. A horrible disease, which luckily we don't see much anymore these days. Raise the dead. Raise the dead. That's what he asked them to do and told them to do. Cast out devils. Freely ye have received, now freely give. Jesus then goes on to give them specific instructions on how to proceed in their ministry and what oppositions they'll face. He talks about how they should salute a house when they come into it and when they leave it. How they would leave a city if needed, a city that they were rejected in. He talks about the judgments that may come upon a city. He refers to Sodom and Gomorrah, etc. And how they will be hated, but how the Lord will speak through them. And they just need to open their heart and let the Lord speak through them. So I'm just going to skip down a little bit, verse 16, and read a couple of these highlight scriptures in this chapter. In verse 16, it says, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. We've heard these scriptures before. But ye therefore, but be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. In verse 19, but when they deliver you up, meaning people that come against you, that bring accusations against you, threats against you, etc., take no thought how or what ye shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what ye shall speak. Verse 20, for it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. So go out and do these seemingly impossible things in my name amongst a lot of people that hate me and think that I'm not the Son of God and are constantly accusing me and saying bad things. Go out and do all these things and completely trust it, that it's going to be okay. You could die. They could kill you. But go out there and do it. That's what Jesus was asking them to do. And they did it. And they did it on faith. Verse 39, it says, He that findeth his life shall lose it. And he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. That was the encouragement he gave them. You know, be ready to lose your life for me. Because that's the most important thing. That's what we're here to do. And that's what we are here to do as Christians. Lose our life for the Lord. So you need rest. You need rest to do that work. There's lots to do. And for them, there was much, much adversity to overcome. And that's the example that we can take on the importance of being built up so we can do the Lord's work. Now, if you move over to Matthew 11, after commanding the 12 disciples, he went to teach and preach in their cities. In their cities. He had to answer their questions of the people that were there and proclaim himself over and over as the one prophesied of as the Christ. He did that throughout the New Testament. And in his ministry, he had to constantly say who he was. 
before the Lord. That was what he had to do. And, and people that were had their ears open and were ready to hear him did. He also recognizes in that chapter John the Baptist for his work. He even preached openly, woe unto cities that had repented not. Even after seeing his works and the miracles that he did and, and how they did not really accept him, even after seeing things that he did, they didn't accept it. They called him a blasphemer and all kinds of things. If you move down to Matthew 11, verse 25, it says, after, after all that, Jesus said, he said, at that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent. So those are the educated, the high-minded, and hast revealed them unto babes. In other words, who he is, who he was. The babes are, you know, represent people of simple faith, people that aren't marred down and bogged down by education and high-mindedness and thinking that they know everything. So, and, and in that scripture, he references hiding these things from the wise and prudent. So, my mom did a, a, a message, or had written down a message here sometime within the last year, and I got to read some of those scriptures and comments that she had made, and, and it really blessed me because a lot of it m meshed with my message today. And, and one thing she wrote was this, and I wanted to share this. In relation to how things are hidden, the kingdom of heaven is like a beautiful painting. As you approach it closer, it becomes more detailed and more beautiful. So often you don't feel like praying or reading, but those things are access to treasure. That's how we find the treasure of the Lord. Praying, reading, abiding in Him, and getting rest in Him. She also wrote, that investment pays off in the future. So rest in that. Rest in that. Back to verse 26. Even so, Father... For so it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered unto me of my Father. And no man knoweth the Son but the Father. So neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son. You cannot know the Father without knowing the Son. Which is what they constantly stumbled on. They wouldn't accept Him for who He was. Even though they saw it with their own eyes. We're taking it on faith. He's not even walking around out here. We know it because He's inside of us and we feel it. And He to whomsoever the Son will reveal Him. So neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and He to whomsoever the Son will reveal Him. The only path to the Father is through the Son. Verse 28, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That is a promise. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart. That's Jesus describing himself in his, in his spirit. And ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I read that scripture earlier. That's the grace that we have in the Lord. And it's so simple. It's so simple. In Matthew 12, verse 1, you really can't, talk about rest without talking about the Sabbath and what that is. So I'm going to touch on the Sabbath, okay? So remember that the Sabbath is not just one day. The Sabbath is continuous. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. He is our rest. 
we don't just confine it to one day because we have them inside of, it, of us and it's a great, great gift. Matthew 12, verse 1, At that time Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the corn, and His disciples were unhungered and began to pluck the ears of corn and to eat. Uh-oh. That was on the Sabbath day. Uh-oh. <laughs> Busted. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto him, Behold, thy disciples do that which is not lawful to do upon the Sabbath day. Now, if that would have been me and my boys walking through that corn, there might not have been very much corn left. <laughs> so when the Pharisees saw this, they didn't like it. Because what they thought they saw and what they were just ready to accuse of was that they were doing work on the Sabbath by plucking corn. Okay? So doing work on the Sabbath was a major no-no. You could be cut off, you could be even put to death related to that. It was very serious. And in the Old Testament, it served as a covenant, a perpetual covenant between God and the Israelites, okay? To not do anything on the Sabbath day. That was the covenant. So in Exodus 31, verse 16, I'll just read that. It says, Wherefore the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations for a perpetual covenant, a bond, okay, an obedience between them and the Lord, them and God. It is a sign between me, a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed, which is what we're talking about today. But remember, what's changed? Christ is that new covenant, right? Between us and God. And we have him right here. So we have the perpetual Sabbath, the perpetual rest right here. He dwells within us if we accept him, which kind of touches on what I was talking about before. So many didn't accept him, even though they saw him. Christ is the new covenant, okay? Back to Matthew 12, verse 3. But he said unto them, so this is the, the Pharisees that are mad at him for walking through the corn and picking it and eating it, because they were probably hungry from all that work they had to do, which we talked about earlier. But he said unto them, Have ye not read what David did when he was hungered, and they that were with him, how he entered into the house of God and did eat the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, neither for them which were with him, but only for the priests? Okay, or have you not read in the law how that on the Sabbath days the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? But I say unto you that in this place is one greater than the temple. But he was talking about himself. He was talking about the Spirit of the Lord inside him and who he was. But if ye had known what this meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless. In other words, we're not guilty of anything. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. The Spirit of the Lord, the Son of Man, the Son of the Lord, overtakes that. He overtakes that letter of the law. So we obey the same God that created the earth, that set up the initial Sabbath. We obey the same God. Not in the letter of the law, not in the absolute letter of everything, because the Spirit of Christ is within us. We have it written down in the tables of our heart. 
Therefore, our Sabbath day or rest is in, is in Him. And that gives us a great, great, amazing freedom. That, that's what it means to be free. That's what when people say, I am free, that's what they mean. Because they're free from that letter of the law, those old things, and, and Christ dwells within. So further on in that chapter, chapter 12, Jesus then commenced to heal, heal the man with the withered hand. You probably remember that. I'm not going to read through all that. You can read it. It's really amazing. And try to get the feel for what the Lord went through there. So he, he commenced to heal the man with the withered hand. And even a multitude of people, he took compassion on them. Even on the Sabbath day, even after he had gone through that ridicule from the ones that wanted to hold on to those old things and couldn't recognize who he was and who were blind by unbelief. He was slandered by the scribes and Pharisees for it right away. So why is this important? Why is it important to know this? It's because when we rest in the Lord and we follow his example and we, and we accept Jesus into our heart and we rest in him, we can be instant to heal. We can be instant to minister to a soul that's in great need. We don't have to be bound down and overcome by something else because God's inside of us and we've rested in him. And we can see, oh, that man has a withered hand. I'm just getting bothered by all this. I'm going to give that the hand and I'm going to give my attention to the need. Okay, So that's why it's important. Let's turn to Mark 6. More about Jesus. So hard to go wrong when you read about what Jesus did. Mark 6, 1. And he went out from thence and came into his own country, his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath day was come, uh-oh, he began to teach in the synagogue, okay, which is good. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, from whence has this man these things? So how does he know these things? And what wisdom is this? which is given unto him, that even such mighty works were, are wrought by his hands. So how is he getting all this wisdom? How is he doing all these things? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph, and of Judah and Simon? And are not his, and are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him for the things that he did in his own country. But Jesus said unto them, a prophet is not without honor, but in his own country and among his own kin and in his own house. He was pretty bummed out. He was pretty disgusted by it. He wouldn't even be accepted there. That can happen to each and every one of us. We've, we've, we've faced that. You can face that kind of, that kind of rejection just even in, in your own house, in your own neighborhood, amongst people that you know, amongst your own family. We've felt that. And when you follow Christ, it's going to happen. It's going to happen because it happened to him. How is it going to be any different to us, for us? Because we're standing up for what he, he stood for. And he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. That was about it. Because there was so much unbelief and so much negativity coming at him. It actually just stifled him to where he just was, well, this is what I can do. i got to move on. The Lord has better things. Okay, And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went round about the villages teaching. And he called unto him the twelve. Now that was probably pretty exhausting. You can imagine that it was probably really hard 
having to face that kind of unbelief and have to overcome that, that frustration of that. It was probably very difficult for him and sad. And he called unto him the twelve and began to send them forth by two and two and gave them power over unclean spirits and commanded them that they should take nothing for their journey save a staff only, so just something to walk with. No scrip, no bread, no money in their purse. They just were out completely on faith and completely obedient to what he had. But be shod with sandals and not put on two coats. And he said unto them, In what place soever ye enter into an house, there abide till ye depart from that place. And whosoever shall not receive you nor hear you when ye de depart thence, shake off the dust under your feet for a testimony against them. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah, the famous worst city in the Bible, right? In the day of judgment for the, that city. So a significant task there, without any supplies, took great faith and great obedience to follow it again, just like before. Those above couple scriptures are kind of a summary of the middle and end part of, of Matthew 10. It says, in, in, in verse 12, it says, And they went out and preached that men should repent. And they cast out many devils and anointed oil, anointed with oil many that were sick and healed them. So they did a lot of work. And if you skip down to verse 30, the disciples returned to Jesus at that point. Verse 14 through 29 takes a kind of a, a side and it tells about how John the Baptist was beheaded by Herod. You could go back and read that if you want to. It's a real betrayal. But if you skip down to verse 30, it says, And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. They were busy. They were doing lots of stuff. And he said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest. Because they had been obedient. Rest for a while. For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to even eat. Because he didn't send them out with food, and they didn't have time to eat it. So they needed rest, and the Lord knew it. 32, and they departed into a desert place by ship privately. A desert place where they could just really get alone before the Lord, lay down, rest, do they need, what they need to do, and get built up again. We need that too as Christians. We need that too. Find that rest that you can for yourself in Him and get built up. And you can do it each and every day like I talked, to, talked about earlier because we do have real lives and real jobs and real things that we face. And it's very simple because all the tools are right in front of us. We have our prayer, we have our tongues, we have each other, and we have the word of the Lord. So even Jesus and his disciples had to physically rest and pray to accomplish the tasks that were set before them. Jesus then fed in that chapter. He fed the people, the loaves and fishes. There were five loaves and two fishes. He fed 5,000 men that day by performing that miracle. The disciples even had trouble comprehending that miracle. If you read this chapter... They just could hardly fathom it. And they were so stuck on it that when he later walked on water up to the boat, they were so stuck on the loaves and fishes they could hardly believe that it was him walking on water. It's pretty amazing. 
But then they finally accepted that it was him, and oh, you know, the light, the light bulbs came on. But <clears throat> so Jesus fed the, the people, the loaves and fishes, after he was moved with compassion toward them. I wanted to point that out. He saw the people there in, in, this, in this section there as sheep without a shepherd. So we can be that shepherd to those that we're ministering to and those of our own household. Sheep without a shepherd. That's what moved him with compassion. And then guess what he did? He went into the mountain to pray, to get before the Lord and find rest. In verse 45, it says, And straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before Bethsaida while he sent away the people. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. What a great example. If you read on, Jesus walks on water, like I said, he calms the seas, and he and the disciples then land the ship that they've been in. In verse 54, skip down to that, and when they were come out of the ship, straightway they knew him. So they, meaning the people of Genesaret, and ran through that whole region round about, these people, and began to carry about in beds those that were sick where they heard he was. So they're just coming up to him and they're bringing people that were sick in beds. I mean, you can imagine the, the, the try to visualize the chaos of that and what that meant, you know, what, what the links that people would go to, to to get near him and what that probably was like for Jesus just as a man physically. And whithersoever he entered into villages or cities or country, they laid the sick in the streets and besought him that they might touch, if it were, but the border of his garment. And as many as touched him were made whole. What a miracle. You know, I know just in my job, after being on call um, for my job for, you know, a week at a time, answering phone calls and, and um, you know, just people will call with any number of questions about their health or their parents' health or this or that. And after that week, I'm pretty spent. It's pretty tiring. There's many people in this room here that work long hour jobs and they'll go through, you know, weeks at a time, even months at a time of, of many days in a row working like at refineries and things like that. And there's not a lot of sleep to be had and it's very taxing. So I can imagine, and you can probably imagine what this was like for Jesus Christ, you know, to come out of that ship, go up and there's, after he had just done the loaves and fishes, I mean, there were 5,000 people out there and then go and then follow around and then go around to all these cities where these people were being brought out and do all that work. It was incredible, the expenditure that he had. But he knew how to regain rest in the Lord. So you know that the virtue must have gone out of Jesus. You know, even just by the touch of his garment, people were healed. He would have to pray and restore his spirit by resting in the Father, just as we do. So just follow that example and think about it. Think about it when you read those scriptures. Don't get so caught up in the miracle that you, that you forget about what the, the toll is when you do those, when you do those things and, 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 and how that relates to us in our lives, you know, and how we can refresh. So that way we have the ability to do what the Lord has for us to do the next time. Because there will be a next time. I had a few more scriptures uh, in closing here. And, um, you know, I think regaining the rest, rest in the Lord is something that each and every one of us can do in a personal way as well. You know, sometimes I just will sing 
songs in my mind or out loud. In my mind, I, I feel like I sound like Michelle, you know, that good. But in reality, you know, that's only in the shower that you sound that good. So I think there's different things that we can all do to build ourselves up and, and to f- regain that rest and strength. So singing to yourself, you know, you can sing Psalm 25, write that down. There's a song about that. Um, and um, there is a song also that goes on with, you know, rest in the Lord, and I'm not going to sing it today. But it's a way for you to just praise the Lord, and it just builds you up so much. So I just encourage each and every person that, you know, whether you're new to the Lord or not, that that's something that you can do. The Lord really... Um, appreciates that. So those are some a simple thing that you can do. And, and what I think it does is it will really rebuke anxiety and those spirits that can come on you. Sometimes if I feel some anxiety or stress, um, it's just a spirit. And when you sing to the Lord, especially scripture, it will rebuke that. And, and, and your soul will really find rest in that. So I'd, I'd like to encourage you to do it, you know, and if I could remember, you know, some of the lyrics of some of my other favorite songs, I would sing those too. So I try that as much as I can. Praying in tongues is a, good, is a great way to get that rest in the Lord. This is another scripture my mom had. It's 1 Corinthians 14.2. And it says, For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him. Howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. So that's between you and the Lord. And speaking in tongues is a different message. But it's a very powerful tool, and I encourage each and every person to seek that out. It's automatic. It's automatic. You don't have to think too much about it. And it's powerful. So we speak mysteries and we speak treasures in our tongues. It's part of our daily walk. It's part of our daily walk. So just between us and God. Psalm 37, 7, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. That's the song, right? Rest in the Lord. Oh, and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. That's part of that letting go that I was talking about and that getting naked before the Lord, being naked before the Lord in His sight and being clean. It's leaning not under your own, unto your own understanding. There's a lot of rest in that. There's a lot of rest in that and peace. So letting go is a restful thing. Go to the Word to gain rest and stay grounded. So praying and going to the Word. That will allow you to stay grounded and abide in the Lord. Remember what I said earlier about rest? If you think about one thing maybe from this message, try to remember that word abide. Abide in the Lord and what that means. And it means being settled. It's like being at home. The word is very nigh to us. It is within us. And there's much rest in that. And a scripture for that to illustrate it is in Deuteronomy 30. Verse 11, for this commandment, which I command thee this day, it is not hidden from thee, neither is it far off. So when people say, you know, they'd never read the Bible or heard the Bible or heard scripture or read the Bible, well, 
It's not hidden. You know, it's right here. It's right here. It's not a mystery. And the more you seek the Lord on it, and the more you ask of the Lord, the more He'll reveal it to you. Verse 12, It is not in heaven that thou shouldest say, Who shall go up for us to heaven and bring it unto us that we may hear it and do it? Who's going to go get it? It's up there in the sky. No. Neither is it beyond the sea that thou shouldest say, Who shall go over the sea for us and bring it unto us that we may hear it and do it? So it's not over there. It's not across the sea. It's not across the parking lot or across the United States or anything like that. Okay? But the word is very nigh unto thee. And unto thee, because we've all been taught and taught and taught. And the Lord has been very, very gracious to us and very generous to us. But the word is very nigh unto thee, in thy mouth and in thy heart, that thou mayest do it. So it's written on the tables of our heart. It's nigh, it's inside us. See, I have set before thee this day life and good and death and evil. In that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments that thou mayest live and multiply. This is for all of us. And that the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. So the word is there and that promise is there. So stand on that. Psalm 16, verse 8. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. I really like that. That gets back to that resting and abiding and being at home with the Lord. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. My flesh also shall rest in hope. What does our flesh feel like? It doesn't feel that good a lot of times, right? And so we need something to hope for. We need something better. And that's what it does. Is we, need, we need to rest in that hope of the Lord. Because the flesh has no hope. It's not going to go anywhere. It's not going to take us anywhere. It's our spirit that's going to take us. And when we feel like our flesh is run down, we have that hope, that hope of glory inside of us to keep moving forward. And that's what pushes us along. So don't rely on your flesh. Rely on hope. Rely on faith. Rely on the Lord that's inside you. And accept Him into, you, into your heart. Because, because that's ultimately what's going to overcome your flesh. So rest is another definition there in that scripture was lodging to reside or permanently stay to dwell have a habitation and remain remain so don't lose it verse 10 for thou wilt not leave my soul in hell neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption thou wilt show me the path of life 
In thy presence is fullness of joy. At the right hand there are pleasures forevermore. That's glory. That's glory. And that's our ultimate goal. And that's where we're all going to be. So just hold fast. Those are all the scriptures that I had for today. Thank you for listening. I hope this message brings to remembrance some of the great examples in the Bible of the importance of being rested in the Lord and what rest really means. Because without it, remember Elijah, Jesus, and his disciples, and many more, many others in the Word, couldn't have fulfilled their ministry. And neither can we without it. And there's our wonderful friend, Dr. Jason, and his message on rest. Awesome show today. Hope you enjoyed it. I sure got a lot out of it. (laughs) It's so wonderful. The unity of the Spirit is incredible how, you know, we have two ministers that offered these messages, both recorded some time ago, and yet they were in perfect unity. Both messages give us that strength and give us that authority to overcome and be victorious. And then also know, yeah, we get to rest in the Lord too. What a beautiful balance. If you need some more instruction on baptism, getting in the infilling of the Holy Spirit, or you heard there our Dr. Jason speak about talking in tongues, speaking in tongues and how restorative that is, go to getyourloveon.org. We have some beautiful, thorough Bible studies that'll walk you right through it. If you'd like a Bible, if you don't know where to get one, or or you need just some extra help or extra instruction, reach out to us. There's a contact tab at getyourloveon.org. We are happy to answer any and all questions, pray for you in perfect unison, and just be there for you. That's what we're here to do. All right, since we spent the last two hours getting our love on, let's make sure we keep our love on. One more time, that website is getyourloveon.org. And we'll be back next week. In the meantime, Lord bless your week, and we sure love you. It's a simple message, but that doesn't mean it's wrong. I keep my love on if I were you. And I'm a simple singer, but my heart and mind are strong.